What's up, punks, punkettes, and all you fuckers in between? This is Eric Larner, creator of Die Emos Die, back in the Zoom studio with none other than Chelsea, voice of Beverly. What is up? Hey, hey, hey. How's it going? It is going very well. So thank you for joining us through the magic of Zoom. Where are you right now? I am sitting in my home office here in Atlanta, Georgia. Home office. Very fancy. Atlanta. So you, uh, a little bit of behind the scenes, pulling back the curtain for the audience. Chelsea here recorded from Atlanta. I know. I know. Everyone recorded from different places. Nobody was ever in the room at the very same time. So thank you for being three hours in the future and joining us here or me here in Los Angeles. You, the audience from wherever it is you're listening from. I am always happy to get in my time machine and go to West Coast time, Pacific time and chat with you. I guess to maybe start things off, truly start things off. Do you want to tell us a little bit you know, about yourself, a little bit for the audience? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, hmm, where shall I begin? Don't don't tell us everything. Keep a little mystery, <laughs> but like, you know, a little something. In the early morning of July 2nd, just kidding. Um, yeah, so I'm an actor and a writer. I met you, wonderful Eric Larner, in college, right? It was our last semester when we in uh, went to Los Angeles for our quote-unquote study abroad, which I loved. Very, very true. Very true. You met college, Eric. I apologize for college. <laughs> oh, college, Eric, was wonderful. What are you saying? College, Eric, was great. Um, but yeah, I, I had always been creating art in one form or another since I was a kid. I... The er- I actually didn't start acting until way later. I actually started as a dancer and a writer. So interestingly enough, when I was a kid, I would like write novels. I mean, not you do this too. You wrote a book. I know this. Paperboy, right? Paper right? man. Paper, Paper man. man. I'm so sorry. Paper man. Um, so yeah, I I also, I mean, nothing is legit as, you know, publishing a book, but I definitely uh would write short stories and whatnot growing up and then I danced um but then at some point when I was in college I suffered a herniated disc just from dancing and so I kind of shifted gear gears and then I decided to start acting so I actually really wanted to go into the production side of um filmmaking and not not so much the production side, but I was interested in like producing, potentially directing, interestingly enough, commercials and music videos. I think that's where the dance comes in. It was mostly like music videos that I wanted to work on. But then when I realized that music videos literally take 24 plus hours and they're like, apparently I've actually never, I've only been on a couple as a dancer, but like, apparently they're terrible. (laughs) terrible set to work on. I was like, maybe I want to do something different. And so, yeah, I, I kind of uh, transitioned into more acting, writing, filmmaking. Awesome. So writer, dancer to writer, actor, director, not music videos. So writing being, the, cons- but writing being the consistent thing across the board. For- yeah, you know, I guess so. I mean, it's weird because like, I, it's funny. I've I, I won a script competition earlier this year out of congratulations. Thank you. Um, and you would, and I've like produced a show that got financed from an indie platform with, with Taylor, our fellow, you know, UT alum, but 
even then I still, it's funny. I still hesitate to like call myself a writer because I feel like I have so much to learn. Um, but no, I, yeah, I, I love, I love writing. In fact, I just finished my first feature this year, um, a first comedy, obviously. And yeah, been doing a lot of acting this year and, you know, just living that artist life, man. Fantastic. Um, so you kind of talked a little bit, I know a little bit about your artistic history, but like, um, where are you from originally? Originally. So my family's from New York City. I, that's where I was born. But I moved pretty young to a town called Nacogdoches, Texas, which is quite small. Uh, I moved there when I was five. And so it's funny because like I, I very much grew up in Texas. You know, my dad was still in New York. And so, you know, there was a little back and forth. But yeah, mostly for sure, like growing up in Texas. Um, but even so, like, it just never truly, truly felt like home, if that makes sense. Like I was, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, arrived on the scene to kindergarten at five and I was talking about my water and, you know, talking about dogs and like, you know, everybody was like, what's wrong with this girl? So, you know, it was you really captured both of those accents, like hey, perfectly. I can, I can move through both worlds seamlessly. Awesome. No, I think that that's fantastic. Um, so I think that actually leads perfectly into my next question. Um, so coming from both worlds, you were old enough, like you were in New York City long enough to have memories or at least have the accent from the city. Um, like what was one of your earliest memories involving music for you? And was it different? Like, do you have like a New York memory and do you have a Nacogdoches memory? A mem well, it's funny because like I have memories um, or I think I have a memory in New York of like dancing around to music coming out of the television, potentially MTV. I think MTV was a thing then. Um, but MTV is still a thing. I mean, I know it's still a thing, but like back when it like played music. Oh yeah. Music MTV. Well, I don't yes, know. Music MTV. Back when music television was truly music television. Um, but I also have a picture of me dancing to, to the television in New York at like two years old. So I don't know if that's like me inventing the memory, you know what I mean? That sort of thing. Or if it's actually something I remember, but all that to say, I do remember, I think this was actually in Dallas. Actually, maybe it was Nacogdoches. I can't remember. I was, I was quite young. I was like, couldn't have been older than five, um, maybe like six tops. But my mom loved pop music. Um, this is where Beverly and I really are the same <laughs> person. Uh, she would listen to like a lot of Madonna and like, you know, that, that song like, call me Mr. Dunn, call me Mr. Vane, that song, you know, yes. like that. I don't know what that would be considered genre wise. Like, what is that? I don't know. I don't know. It's probably pop. I would say it's like pop techno. I don't say know. don't don't actually get like for real me started because I know I wrote in my script. I was like, this is this and that is that. And you can't cross. And then by the end of the podcast, as you know, it's like, yes, who gives a fuck? Just listen who to the cares? fucking music. <laughs> yes. And so she would she would dance around to that. A lot of Madonna. Um, so yeah, I'd have to say that those were kind of some of my first memories. Oh, actually, no, I have a hilarious memory. When we first moved to Texas, my mom was super stoked to acclimate to the South being from New York. So oh, she God. bought me, I know she bought me, um, red cowboy boots, a red cowboy hat. And that same year, I think Shania Twain, like she had an album come out. And so like, we would just like listen to Shania Twain in our like 
cowgirl boy cow person gear. And um, that was one of also another early memory. <laughs> awesome. I like that you went gender neutral with cow person, but it just makes it now I have a mental image of like a like a cow like person. A bar, like, a like a like a weird like a cow person. <laughs> hey, you know. Cow people love to. Right. Yeah, yeah I, I imagine you coming in with like red cowboy boots. I know that's like kind of a thing, but you're like, they're going to like immediately see you and go city slicker right there. Right. Right, right there know. with your red cowboy boots and your Shania Twain. I know it wasn't, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. <laughs> oh, I have a picture. I'll have to send you the picture. It's, it's quite hilarious. Amazing. Maybe we'll share it on social media for Everyone hey. to see how fabulous you were in Maybe Chelsea. Look, I always tell people like physically, I definitely peaked around like five because I was <laughs> so fucking cute as a child. So yeah, please blast it all over. All right. <laughs> Chelsea at five, look, living her best fabulous life. Yes. Um, awesome. So uh, I think I also wanted to see maybe Shania Twain is the answer to this question, but like, other than music or your memories, like what are some of your biggest influences, I guess, either in writing or dance or in that realm of your like creative sphere? Yeah, you know, um, biggest influences. Ah, I would say, um, hmm, who do I love? Okay, so I love John Leguizamo. Like I've loved him forever. Um, he, I think, is just so underrated. I Think he's so incredibly talented. He's done Broadway. He's done stand up, and so him as a writer, actor, producer, I've loved him since I was a kid. And I just, yeah, I, he uh, recently did. I think it was a couple of years ago before the pandemic that he did Latin History for Morons on Broadway, and I was so close to seeing it on Broadway, and I, I missed it unfortunately. But um, I did see it on Netflix. So love him. I love um, I love Eli Craig. He did Tucker and Dale versus Evil. I love a lot of like big ridiculous comedies, and it's so funny because back in film school, you know, everyone was discussing you know Stanley Kubrick and like all these like John Cassavetes, like all these artists, and I'm like, I like you know the big farce comedies where it's like they're making stupid jokes. Um, so yeah, love Eli Craig. Um, I, you know, who's like a, a more recent inspiration in the last, like, you know, five, six, seven, eight years is Issa Rae. I love her. Like, I just love what she did with her web series. And, um, when Taylor and I did our web series, like she was definitely a big inspiration just in terms of like, I mean, you don't, I, I guess it's happened multiple times now where, you know, an artist will create you know, a web, a web show and then, and then actually turn it into this big thing with this big production bu budget and whatnot. Um, but she was kind of one of the first ones that I really like followed her story and saw it happen in real time. And I just thought, I don't know, I still think she's just so badass. Awesome. And yes, yeah, speaking of small little productions on the internet, suddenly getting a big production, you know, budget, let's knock on wood. Right? <laughs> Somebody please, I know this is about punk music and not about selling out, but for the love of God, I'm, I want to sell out. Someone please give me a big bag of money. Hey, you know what? Selling out sounds fucking fantastic. I think. I think I'm getting too old for this starving old. artist life. Old. I can't sleep on the floor no more. Look, I need that paycheck. Exactly. You heard it from Chelsea. If you're not going to listen to me, listen to Chelsea. She's from New York. 
with her word. New York and Texas. <laughs> oh my God. Um, okay. Um, so moving past that, <clears throat> I'm being a shell. Um, what are your thoughts? Perfect segue into now. What are your thoughts on um, punk music? Because obviously coming into the show, everybody has an opinion on music, very specifically punk music. And you have kind of yeah. spelled out you're a big pop, you're a big pop kid. Um, so what what was your <laughs> thoughts on punk coming into the show? Did it change after you read the script and listen to me talk to you about punk music? It actually did. So I yes. admittedly, man, when I was a teenager, just like the whole punk thing told, I just missed me. Like I listened more to, I love pop music. I would listen to like alternative music, like grunge nineties. Like there, there's a lot of stuff I listened. It wasn't just all, you know, pop, but like punk just never really um, you know, it wasn't ever my thing. Right. And I, I admittedly thought punk and emo were kind of the same thing. I didn't know until working on this podcast, but no, I will say like coming out of it, I have this newfound respect for punk music. Cause I didn't know that it was like, it was like, it's kind of rooted in like fighting the man and like fighting inequality and oppression and like all this really rad stuff that I had no idea. Um, and then also like listening to the songs on the show, I was like, oh, wow, like this is really cool. You know, can't say it's still, you know, emo, emo, less my thing, still not my thing. But um, especially with it being evil and everything, in the show, <laughs> you know, that's, that's definitely it's further tainted my vision of, of emo music music. Um, but no, I have I definitely have a newfound respect for punk music for sure. We love that. I love to hear that because I think um, we won't I won't divulge anybody's age on this on this interview or on this show but our age coming up i think the biggest problem with punk is and it's gonna i'm gonna tip my hand a little bit i think the worst thing to ever happen to punk music was pop punk music in the early 2000s because it it stripped all of what was cool the reason punk was cool like yeah the New York Dolls were like the first like real big drag performers. Um, you've got like Wayne County, who later changed her name to Jane County, one of the first trans performers, also punk. Um, and now we're coming out of pop punk and you've got bands like the Muslims, trans black New York people like performing and being more diverse than like I because I my thoughts on punk was like oh these are up uh, angsty upper middle class white kids and it was kind of annoying well, but that's now there. I see yeah of course of course but like now I can see it is more diverse there is more to it than that. right because then you also have where it came from like the Sex Pistols, for better or worse, The Clash, they're white kids, but they're white kids from the UK coming out of like the World War II era where the economy was completely stripped down to nothing. And the old, the, all their grandparents and their parents are still talking about the glory days of World War II. And they're like, shut the fuck up. I can't buy an apartment. Like, what's wrong with you? Um, and this, they, made, they made music about it. Anyway, that's my tangent about punk. But I'm glad that I'm able to like, you were able to kind of see that and and kind of latch on. So that at least a little bit as Beverly, especially because apparently you weren't acting whenever you said punk and emo are the same thing anyway. I didn't know like that was coming. I was like, oh, that was really good. That was so good. Yeah, no, it was not that difficult to embrace her point of view because I admittedly, you know, like I said, like, yeah, similar points of view, me and Bev. Yeah. So I think I also wanted to see um, whenever you first like 
read the script when we first talked about the project like what were your thoughts on Beverly like herself as a character um you know her thoughts on your thoughts on how she interacted with the world I mean obviously Beverly's involvement in the world is smaller in scope but Mm -hmm. like I guess what were your thoughts how did you prepare what were your thoughts going into that yeah so like I said I think Beverly and I have very similar worldviews, and I really enjoyed just like how chill she was and just like kind of along for the ride and she's like yeah I'll do this podcast interview with you and we'll chat music and you know another aspect of it aside from the music that really I found to be really cool I'm so sorry. Can you hear my dog in the background? Because she's definitely barking a little. It's cool. My dog barks too. My dog is on another interview that I did. So we'll we'll be we'll be Daimos died feet the dogs. Okay. <laughs> Wait, how did you say it with your New York accent? My dog. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My very bad dog. You're louder yeah. than the dog, so it's okay. <laughs> it's look with these pipes. Look. It's- <laughs> Um, yeah, I was going to say another aspect of Beverly that really, um, intrigued me. I thought it was really cool to the setup between her and Iggy, because I've definitely had that experience, especially coming from, you know, a small town where I had, you know, I, I grew up and I had, you know, good friends in high school, but, you know, I went on to do, I mean, a lot of people have this experience, right? You, you leave your small town and then you go off into the world and you come back and you might try to connect with those people. And it's like, it's not that the love isn't there, but it's like, oh, wow, like we're really different. And, you know, it's interesting, the expectations we put on other people to stay the same or vice versa to to grow and not be the same person. And, you know, at the end of the day, everyone's just kind of where they're at. And so it was interesting and cool to kind of see her and Iggy go back and forth with like, he was very much like living, you know, in this world that she was no longer a part of. And, um, but then, you know, trying to find that common ground. You asked me, I think pre recording when I was just starting to give people the scripts, you asked me my favorite, question out of anybody um, is I remember you, you we were discussing how the show was set up and everything and you were like is this a period piece because I kind of got the sense it like takes place in the 70s and I was like it doesn't but I'm so glad you asked that because the character definitely still wants it to be the 70s so it and it's in his mind it's a period piece <laughs> right yeah because I was like I mean I definitely had to look up a lot of these bands right and to like get a feel for who they were and uh yeah a lot of them are not necessarily contemporary but that's yeah i mean super dope but i am going to also a little bit more behind the curtain we're going to pull the curtain back even further i'm going to tell everyone you had the most unique recording process um because everyone was very in the loop with the story obviously um sean as iggy read and saw every single script um even michael as ziggy wasn't in every episode but he got to read like half the scripts um katie as kimmy um, I let her, I gave her access to all the information. So even though she didn't read every script, I was like, you're Kimmy, you know, everything that's your character. Um, what do you want to know? And I even, I told her things that Sean didn't even know. I was like, cause I had the world developed. So she actually had the most access to everything. Um, I gave her answers to questions. She knows what happens to your care. Like literally I told her everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but for you, I intentionally was like, here's your script for episode seven. Um, here's a little bit of context so you know who these people are, because you know the people, your character knows the people. 
but here's the script. Have fun. We'll record later. I'm not going to answer any questions. Because uh, <laughs> your character doesn't know anything. No, absolutely. And I, I thought that that was really... That was really cool. Like that was a cool because because it's yeah. Like on on one hand, I know how creative and talented you are, and so there was definitely a part of me that was like, but I want to know the whole thing. I want to know the story. Um, but I do think creative process wise, that was a wise decision because like <laughs> like coming into it and being like, okay, z- uh, emo zombies, like what the fuck, man? Like it really added to it versus like truly understanding like every element of it, and it kind of. I think, I mean, I think on my end, it added to kind of the surrealness of the experience of coming into this studio, this radio station with Eggy and having this conversation and being like, what now? Exactly. I think my biggest concern was um, reading through all the scripts. because I'm like, yeah, Eggy's an asshole. But then I realized reading through the scripts, oh, the audience is going to feel really bad for him. And you're coming in. And I was like, I, Beverly has no sympathy for Eggy because she hasn't been here. Um, so I think... Recording, obviously, a very different thing after hearing it, like all played back and hearing your part in it. Like, what was that for you? What did you think something recording? And then you heard the episodes and you were like, oh, that's not what I thought was going to happen. It's so funny because, well, number one, just like from a pure vanity standpoint, like watching myself on TV or hearing my voice, I'm like, oh, and so I always <laughs> like, I just always like, I don't always hate it, but like, it's funny because I always like at least have a reaction to it. Right. I don't think there was anything I was like particularly surprised about listening to the episode. I think that Maybe, maybe like in my brain, I thought she was being more sympathetic towards him. But then like listening to it, I was like, oh, like she's giving him a little bit of a hard time. But maybe because I had listened to the previous episode. So I knew I knew him more. I knew um, what was not him more, but I, I understood the context of what was going on. And so like I can see in the setting of like listening to all the episodes, it's like, oh, like kind of feel bad for this guy now. So maybe that. Yeah, I can see that. Right. Yeah. That episode was was tough to write. Actually, that episode that Beverly's in got the most rewrites um, because it was really hard because I'm like, OK, yes, Iggy's an ass. He deserves to be kicked in the like he needs to get kicked a little bit. Right. Because yeah. that was the flip episode. Where I'm like, oh, by the way, this character that you've loved, let's really show you like, yeah, you kind of thought he was a little off. I'm like, let's really delve into the fact that he's kind of an ass and he kind of deserves this a little bit. But it, yeah. it's the thing like no one deserves that much to be done to them. Um, so I thought that was kind of fun. It was hard to write, um, but it made Beverly's character a lot of, a lot of fun. It Uh, was super fun. And I, yeah, it was just that you could tell, I I really want to commend you on your writing just because you built such a rich history between them, but none of it felt expositional to me. I mean, I, I, you know, as an actor and a writer, like I read scripts all the time and admittedly, I don't read a lot of podcasts, narrative podcasts. In fact, this was the first one I've ever worked on um professionally but but yeah like i mean i i just thought it was really well written so whatever your rewrites were they worked oh thank you so i was gonna say that beverly that beverly thing i set that up from the very beginning because beverly gets a shout out in the pilot episode when i wrote that i knew she was gonna come back so that whole thing that was a whole everyone was ready for you and i think you you brought it and it was it was really it was really good. Um, and may, well, maybe we'll, we'll get into this. Maybe I'll cut this out of the interview, but I did want to bring up the fact um, 
Beverly and you, the only not white person, which kind of fits for punk as well. Like, because I did mention a lot of like, there are a lot of like minorities in punk, but um, something that we did bring up in the podcast as well, that episode is it got whitewashed a lot. Yeah, Um, Yeah. And so I didn't know if you brought any of that sensibility to it or if you wanted to speak to that or acting experience. Yeah, you know, I think that there's, it's definitely an interesting experience to be a person of color and to step into a room of, you know, where, where you're the minority, right? And, and I mean, it, it could be, you could be the only woman in the room. You could be the only uh, person of color in the room. You could be the only, uh, you know, person born outside of the United States in the room, right? It, it can, it, 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 I think it transcends just, you know, race, ethnicity. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it, it is interesting because um, I know that you'd given me the option to audition for Kimmy, who, by the way, is like way cooler than I am. And I was like, <laughs> oh, this is absolutely not. Like, I, I'm not going to even try to embarrass myself. And I think uh, Katie Aaron, right? Katie yeah. did a fantastic job and she was just so cool. And I was like, oh my God, um, I could never. But uh, <laughs> but the point being is like, I think that, I, I don't know if you like planned it in any, like, planned it in any way or, or, or wanted Beverly to be a person of color. But yeah, like, I think like it's, it, you know, I, I admittedly didn't think of it in those terms while we were working together on this, but yeah, now I, I mean, I can definitely see how, you know, sometimes you have to step away and I, I've had experiences, you know, just growing up in a small predominantly white town and the South and then like stepping away and living in LA, living in Philadelphia, living in Atlanta, living in these bigger, more diverse cities. And yeah, like some, it's, it's an interesting experience to like be a part of these groups, step away, get perspective and come back um, in multiple ways. Once again, transcending race, ethnicity, ethnic experiences. But yeah, like I think that that's, it kind of is fitting that I am Beverly and Beverly is I. Wait, that's that's improper grammar. It is kind of fitting that I played Beverly. I think that that, you know, I'm sure somewhere in my psyche, I brought that experience, even if it wasn't like top of mind. Right. And I think, I mean, outside of music, the big thing I tried to do um, is have emotional touch points. I think we discussed that whenever we came in to record, because obviously it's like, if somebody doesn't know what punk music is, I still want them to listen to the show. Okay, so what's the emotional touch point? The emotional touch point isn't, oh, we listen to different music now. The emotional touch point is, have you ever graduated high school, moved out of your hometown and come back for a high school reunion or you came back for Christmas and you visited with your old friends, like, let's grab a beer. We haven't seen each other in five years and you sit down. I think that was my directing note for you was, you sit down across from this person, you've got your beer and you're talking, it's great. And then they say something, you're like, I'm going to let that one slide because I haven't seen you. And maybe you meant something else and you keep talking and you're like halfway through your beer. So you're kind of stuck at the table and then they keep talking and you're like, oh, I need to like, I need to leave like now. It's crazy because the stuff that they may be saying in this hypothetical situation may have been stuff that you'd heard all your life while living in that small town. But then it just never occurred to you, or at least for me personally, like there's a lot of stuff that like was said to me, um, that was just like fucked up to be honest. And I just, I, it's not even that I let it slide. I just, it didn't occur to me how fucked up it was until I stepped away. And I was like, Oh, that was racist. They was being racist. That's fucked up. 
you know what I mean? And so I think that like with Beverly, it's kind of cool because it's like, yeah, like she obviously like she had a hard time in the punk scene, you know, as a youth, as a youth. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, uh, obviously like stepping away and like broadening her horizons, she gets some uh, perspective and comes back. And I do love that even though she's a kind, chill person, like she does have the ovaries to, you know, call them on a bullshit a little bit, which is important, you know, because when we get stuck in these silos, no matter what silo it is, you know, it, it, it can be, it can be unhealthy. Exactly. And so you need somebody to come in and push you a little bit. Or yeah. in Beverly's case, Iggy pushes her to actually getting angry at the end. Cause I think, I think I gave Beverly a lot of, a lot of patience. So I'm glad you're able to bring some grace uh, to the character. But obviously you got zombified in probably, um, as I was writing it, the, really the truly only horror scene that I wrote in the show. Because I told people, I'm like, it's a horror comedy. There's not a lot of horror in it. Episode three is very my homage to Night of the Living Dead, which I said they're trapped in a house and the zombies are breaking in. So it was like obvious. And I even made a Night of the Living Dead joke in it. Um, to be like, this is the zombie attack. So that was kind of a horror scene. But yours was was really like I did the whole, he walks down the hall and it's creaking and it's atmospheric and you're like, oh. and then like you're talking and, but you're not fully zombified yet. Like you get caught, um, your character gets caught like half baked in the zombie process. And like, we you start like getting talked through so you have yeah. like a and that was so dope like to hear shannon's voice and on top of my voice and to hear like that like how you executed that i thought was so well done yeah i learned a lot and speaking of siloed that was just a further level of you being siloed from the actual production process because not only did i say oh by the way i'm not going to tell you the story i also said okay we're going to record this scene I want you to say it like this, and it's going to sound horrible because I want you to say it flat, monotone, slow, like basically against all instinct of what an actor would would do. And I was like, oh, by the way, I'm going to layer someone else's voice on top of it, um, which you're not even going to get to hear that recording until later. So kudos to you as we wrap up this interview. Kudos to you. You had literally nothing to go on. And I just you had I just had to like tell you stuff and you had to trust me. So thank you for trusting me on that episode. Well, it's so easy to trust you, Eric Warner. Oh, good. Okay, thank you. So, I think um, one of my one of my big questions because I we've hinted at Beverly was siloed. Beverly's not dead. Obviously, she got de-emoed at the same time as everybody else, so she's out there kicking. Um, I have some other plans for her, hopefully, in the future. But what? I guess for you, thinking about Beverly and your experience, do you have any thoughts, hopes for Beverly in the future? You know, I think that I'd be interested to see Beverly come back and for us to see her in her world. So, you know, right now, you know, as of season one, we've seen her step into Iggy's world and to this like really crazy um under these really crazy circumstances and so yeah i would love to see her you know something happen to her in her world you know oh you get to go on her home turf yeah you know maybe she's at the club with a dj friend right oh no that's the chagrin of you know (laughs) oh man i'm (laughs) disappointed rather of iggy right um yeah no i think beverly was a lot of fun but after hearing the podcast um 
other than Beverly, you can't say Beverly, who was your favorite character? Like getting to hear the whole thing all the way through. I have two. Okay. You can say two. Sean killed it. Oh my God. <laughs> like I, I remember Sean, we did UTLA together and oh my gosh, I had no idea like what a fantastic voice actor and actor in general. Right. Cause I mean, I only transitioned, um, not transitioned, but like adding voice, added voice acting onto my, you know, resume, uh, over the last, like when the pandemic started, essentially, like I took a few classes and started auditioning for voiceover. But, um, you know, what you find is that it really is similar to acting, right? I mean, a little different just in terms of execution of it, but like, you know, the emotions have to be there and whatnot. And I was just so impressed with him and I'm impressed with him being able to switch, you know, between his like radio voice and all that. And I just thought, um, he was great. And then also Kimmy, I mean, once again, Kimmy was just so cool. In fact, I really loved, um, is that the fifth episode? Okay. The fifth episode. Yeah. I really enjoyed that one. I thought, I thought she was just, once again, so cool. And like I said, I just, when you gave me the option, I was just like, absolutely not. I mean, if you look in my Instagram bio, my bio says resting customer service face. And and then it's true. Like, can you think of anything less cool than somebody who's just like peppy and smiles all the time? Like that is me in a nutshell. I had no, you picked the right person to play Kimmy. (laughs) Kimmy doesn't smile. Kimmy doesn't even have a last name, which I made a joke. (laughs) I made a joke about Kimmy's too cool. She's, she's like Prince. It's just Prince. Yeah. That's the name. That's it. But you now moving outside of Beverly, you Chelsea, the my, my, my closing question I like to ask everyone, do you as a person believe that music is magic? You know, I used to not growing up. I thought it was very much like a background thing, like something to put on while I was getting ready to go create my own magic. But I think over the years that's changed. And I very much think it is magic. Um, Not to like turn this into a long tangent by any means, but like I was having a conversation with a friend who's a musician and we're kind of talking about the way people listen to music has changed. Like people used to put on a record or whatever, and just sit there and listen to it and really like consume it, not as a background thing, but like literally just like for the music. Um, and I think I probably only recently started doing that um, over the last like 10 years. I never really did that as a teen. So, you know, I would say, yes, it absolutely is. But like I said, I didn't figure that out until a little later. No, I think that that's great. And um, that really ties in with the podcast because that's why I stuck the songs in the middle of the episode. She can't turn up like, I'm going to make you sit and listen to this music. (laughs) Thank you for joining me here in the Zoom studio all the way from the future. Of course. Before we close out, though, I want to give you the chance for our listeners out there. Where can we find you? Do you have like social media, other shows? Like where can we find you, Chelsea, in in the great wide world? Yeah, I am on the gram. Uh, I have to be honest, I'm not great at posting. Actually, I'm great at posting stories, not great at posting on my feed. But my handle is Rivera. C-H-E-L-S-X-R-I-V-E-R-A. Do you have, I mean, anything you want us to know about? I know you're on Doom Patrol. So if you've got HBO Max. Check out Doom Patrol. Yes. Yes, I'm in Doom Patrol. Um, uh, next year I'm going to be in Father of the Bride. So watch out for that. The remake, which will be super great. I think it comes out next summer. 
and as well as Moonshot, which is going to be on Netflix next year. Also very fun rom-com and Ozark in January. In January. You know, tune into all those things and you'll see my face. Fantastic. And I'm also going to drop links in the episode description. I'll get them from Chelsea. So don't worry. If you want more of Chelsea, we'll have it here for you. Now, thank you listeners for tuning into the Zoom studio. And as always, stay on track and punk as fuck. Bye.